1: I am going to my friend John Bolton, Ambassador John Bolton's former U.S. National Security Advisor and former Ambassador to the U.N. He's Chairman of the Foundation for American Security and Freedom. Uh, His book was The Room Where It Happened, a White House memoir. John, you have to help me here because I'm going nuts over this. And um, learning, I mean, among other things. So Biden's laid this plan down. He said it five times or something. In this middle east trip and he says well you know we won't wait forever apparently they're going to lift the economic sanctions provide as much as a trillion dollars because they're going to give back all the assets that were frozen during the trump sanctions that you had a lot to do with and um central bank reserves so they're going to refinance iran which will not even allow verification of the weapons they're enriching like crazy. I could go on, John, but you, you're the expert. I'm just telling you this deal is making me crazy.
0: Well, you're exactly right. Uh, the 2015 deal, the original deal that, uh, that we withdrew from in the Trump administration was a terrible deal at the time. And the Biden administration has spent over a year now making further concessions to the Iranians. And, uh, uh, despite uh, being told on a number of occasions that uh, uh, that they were going to give up the pursuit of it, that they were at the end of the uh, negotiating and whatnot, the, the administration just can't leave it because they view this as a theological objective, getting back into this deal. Uh, but as I said, the original deal was bad. We can go into that at great length. This deal is even worse. And our allies in the region, Saudi Arabia, the United Arab Emirates, Israel, all think it's a bad deal. So, you know, this is the president that said he was going to get right with our allies and whatnot. I'm sure on this Middle East trip, he's heard it direct from the leaders. They think the deal is a bad deal. Dangerous for them. Dangerous for the United States. Dangerous for the risk of nuclear proliferation around the world. Uh, that we ought
1: to call a stop to this sooner rather than later. I mean, John, all these things are clearly right that you say. And Biden says five times that we put a deal on the table. And we had one of the uh, national security, one of the younger national security people on the TV show the other night uh, last night talking about the money involved. We are going to pay Iran a fortune, so they 'll just use that uh, for more terrorism Hamas hezbollah etc etc they 're buying a, what are they buying ballistic missiles to deliver nuclear weapons they 're enriching like crazy i mean it could be they could be getting back a trillion dollars worth. I mean, it reminds me of the airplane. Remember with Obama? the. the, they with brought the, cash, the... Yeah.
0: Look, th- that was bad enough. This, this could well be worse. And right. uh, what they did with the money that was unfrozen back in 2015 and the relief from sanctions was put it in their support for terrorism, put it in their nuclear and ballistic missile programs. They'll do exactly the same. Um, and you know the uh, administration, while this negotiation has been going on, has relaxed the sanctions China is now buying oil from iran uh, basically scot free mm. so so the the pressure that was put on Iran has already been considerably eased, and uh, that that 's the reason that the Countries, The Arab Gulf countries in Israel are so concerned, and it's not just about Iran's nuclear program. It's about their support for the Houthi rebels in Yemen. The Iranians give them missiles and drones that the, that the rebels use to attack civil airports in the United the Arab Emirates and Saudi Arabia, oil infrastructure. Iran supports Hamas and Hezbollah. Uh, I mean, it's just it's a, it is the world's leading state sponsor of terrorism, and the, and the immediate targets are
1: right there in the region. But John Bolton, what do you ever talk to these guys? I mean, what do they think is going to happen here if they went through with this deal? I mean, look, here's 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 what's really at the bottom of it. I think they say,
0: as you point out rightly, the president says all the time we don't want Iran to have nuclear weapons. Uh, And and I think, you know, in a perfect world, they probably don't want Iran to have nuclear weapons. But do they really care about it? Are they really going to do something to stop it? And the answer to that's no. Mm. Uh, And they think they can manage Iran, just like, by the way, they think they can manage North Korea with nuclear weapons. I'll say again, sure, they don't want them to have nuclear weapons, but they're not going to strain to prevent it from happening. So what they're trying to do, if they can get back into the deal, uh, is it's a way to get past the first term of uh, and probably the last term of Obama's presidency, uh, getting close to the point now where the terms of the original deal are due to expire. So I think the whole thing is theater uh, or theology, and neither one will protect us, Israel, or the Arab states
1: against uh, Iran's nuclear weapons or support for terrorism. One of the things, John Bolton, it, it, that, I, that Biden's been saying is that we put the deal on the table. It won't be there forever. But doesn't that sound like, like if Iran accepted the deal tomorrow, we would go through with the deal? And Absolutely. Look, the administration has been on its knees for
0: well over a year. They said as far back as October that we're running out of time. That was October. This is July. Uh, the I tell you, in Tehran, the Iranians are kicking themselves that they didn't ask for more concessions, because if they had, the administration would have given them to them. The, the last two hangups by reports and leaks and whatnot is, is that the – Iranians want Biden to guarantee that no future American president will withdraw from the deal, which, of course, he can't do. And by the way, while we're on the subject, there's not, as far as I know, not a single potential Republican candidate for the 2024 nomination who wouldn't withdraw from the deal if we went back in. So mm. that, that point's kind of a sticking point. But the other thing, you know, the deal was only supposed to be on nuclear issues, but the Iranian government wants – Uh, the uh, Trump administration designation of the Revolutionary Guards Corps as a foreign terrorist organization to be lifted Mm. so that they can go right back to doing what they were doing before. Uh, And and Biden has tried every single way he can think of to do that. If he did in any way, it would be an explosive result in Congress. And Mm. the one thing the administration doesn't want to talk about is there's much more Democratic Party opposition to going back into the deal today than there was to the original deal in 2015.
1: How did they get around the Senate in 2015?
0: Well, they, first of all, they said it's not a treaty. Mm. Now, I think that's wrong. And look, the Senate has has thrown away its treaty power basically over the past uh, 70, 80 years. It's a, it's a complex subject. But mm. the Senate has to stand up and act against the the executive branch if it doesn't submit something like this as a treaty. There was a bill proposed by then-Senator Corker that mm. reversed, in effect, the treaty clause of the Constitution. It was a terrible idea, mm. and Republicans should never have supported it. But Obama used that as if it constituted congressional approval. So the real answer is this is a treaty. If, if anything is a treaty that deserves Uh, Senate uh, advice and consent, this is it.
1: And the other thing, John, is I read that the U.N. guy, I I don't know his name, maybe you know his name, but he's been saying uh, they, they don't allow inspections. They don't allow verifications. You know, they're building stuff inside mountains, and they won't let anybody look at it. Yeah. Look,
0: this this uh, director of the International Atomic Energy Agency, uh, Director Grossi from Argentina, uh, I think basically doing a very good job. At least he's telling the truth. That's always a step forward. You know, both in Obama and now under Biden, advocates of the deal say we have enhanced verification and transparency into the uh, Iranian nuclear program. That is absolutely false. Absolutely false. Uh, the program, the, the push for nuclear weapons is going on right now, and we we don't have the intelligence capability to find it. Uh, other countries do, and they keep bombing it. Uh, uh, but but the IAEA, uh, the U.N.
1: agency, uh, is, is barred from the key sites. Hmm. And you reckon that Israel is going to take action on its own?
0: I, I have no doubt that whatever the Biden administration does, uh, Israel's prepared to act, and we know that because they're acting already. They've, uh, they've bombed uh, and, and sabotaged key locations. Uh, Iranian nuclear scientists have come to an early exit. Uh, all kinds of things going on, and if, if they need to, Israel will act unilaterally uh, with great force because they fear quite correctly that a nuclear Iran is capable of a nuclear holocaust
1: against Israel. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. How close do you think? Um, I know it's inexact, but how close is Iran to having a nuclear bomb?
0: Well, the quick answer to that is about 48 hours by a bank transfer to the North Korean Central Bank to have a North Korean nuclear weapon flown to them. No. Uh, we, we, we don't know enough about Iran's program to calculate so-called breakout time. We don't really know how many centrifuges they have to uh, enrich uranium. Uh, but, but the key thing is that their technology uh, is at the point where they could get it very quickly. And it's mm-hmm. simply unacceptable to, to risk uh, the danger that they would get it. The idea you can push it off until they actually have a, a nuclear weapon that you can see in a laboratory is far too late, far mm-hmm. too dangerous.
1: I mean, John Bolton, old friend, this is the most catastrophic story in my mind. This is worse than anything else going on around the globe right now.
0: Well, it's a threat uh, because of what Iran might do with it, but also the threat, and I think it's very real, that given its ties to international terrorism, Iran could quite willingly, quite easily transfer a nuclear weapon to a terrorist group. You don't necessarily have to have a ballistic missile to develop it, you can put it on a tramp steamer, mm-hmm. sail it into New York Harbor, and light it off. This is very dangerous stuff.
1: Mm-hmm. Boy, oh boy, John, if you can stay with us, I want to talk about the incoherent Russian policy. Your Washington Post column. If you can uh, stay right after the break, give sure, us a couple please, more minutes. You're terrific, folks. We're talking to Ambassador John Bolton, who was former U.S. Uh, national security. Advisor. Uh, His book is The Room Where It Happened, a White House memoir. It's a very interesting read. Uh, He's chair of the Foundation for American Security and Freedom. John, you wrote in the Post a couple days ago, the Washington Post, Biden's scheme to cap oil prices reflects his incoherent Russia policy. You know, (laughs) first of all, they can't cap oil prices. Second of all, they're selling all their oil, John. You know, Russia is back to uh, pre war oil production because their customers in India and China are buying lots of oil, so they're financing their war machine. We haven't done a thing here. You're not going to get China and India to uh, take a uh, cap on oil prices. I don't even understand what Yon had in mind. She's a central planner, so she thinks you're going to have price controls. But this thing you're you're writing here, that that won't work, and meanwhile it's distracting from the key issues regarding Ukraine. Can you tell us some more?
0: Well, I mean, the points you've made about its unworkability are absolutely critical. It's an academic theory. No, no system like it has ever been applied in the sanctions context that I'm aware of, mm. uh, and yet she's devoting enormous times to try and negotiate. What's the reason for it? The reason is that they are obsessed with the pi- price at the pump of gasoline in this country, and they're trying to think of anything they can. To get that price down, ignoring and, you know, she, she is secretary of the Treasury, ignoring the fact that uh, between their uh, their fiscal policy and the Fed's monetary policy, that's what's causing inflation, not the war in Ukraine. But the idea is to do something to keep Russian oil on the international market, hoping that will bring prices down. It is directly contradictory to the basic policy of putting pressure on Russia economically through the sanctions uh, to impair their ability to wage war against Ukraine. They're, They're trying to achieve too many objectives. They, you know, this is sanctions without pain. And what it basically sends a signal to Russia is that we're approaching the limit of our ability uh, to try and squeeze them economically. It gives comfort to Putin and his advisors. If they can just keep it up a little bit longer militarily, they won't achieve all their objectives, but they'll do a lot better than we thought a couple months
1: ago. I mean, I thought initially <laughs> sanctions, the idea with sanctions, if they were tough enough, which they never were, would be to stop Russian oil sales, which is, you know, he's, what what did McCain say? It's a, it's a broken-down gas station? I mean, that's really – it's not the only thing they got, but it's the biggest thing they've got. And well, it's clearly
0: their biggest export, uh, and, right. and you know, the, the, you've you've put your finger on it. The answer here, it doesn't matter what the international price of oil is. Drive their exports to zero. Right. That's what has the impact, uh, and yet Treasury and the administration are not willing to do it. I, I think this is actually – symptomatic of a bigger problem with Treasury and, and sanctions as a whole people really don't uh, use them as effectively as possible I, I'd like to move sanctions enforcement to the Department of Justice or the Defense Department for example because uh, yeah. if you want to put pressure on you've got to be serious about it. If you just want a virtue signal you know oppose the sanctions and don't enforce them but, but say look, look at the tough steps we've taken against
1: the Russians while they continue to grind Ukraine into the ground So what's your assessment of the Ukraine situation right now? Well,
0: I think we're in a race, basically, as Russia tries to gain as much territory as they can so that at some point, uh, and you can call it an October surprise. I don't know that it's necessarily October, but at some point within a couple months, Putin can say with something like a straight face, we've achieved our objectives time to call a hot halt to military operations so we're declaring a unilateral halt we're just going to stop where we are and then negotiate with ukraine but if they do that and we're not prepared that's the new border of russia that they're declaring the race on the other side is getting our military assistance to the ukrainians on the front lines not making speeches about it but getting it uh, to a position where it can affect the russians and you know the the, the shipments have been slow and uh the, the cost to Ukraine in human terms has been very high. Uh, it's it's not over yet, but it would also be nice if the Biden administration could articulate what its objectives are, which it still hasn't done.
1: Yeah, see, that's the part I know. And there seems to be disagreement inside the administration. I mean, Austin and the Defense Department sounds tougher than than the White House sounds. But then sometimes they'll say, well, we want a Ukrainian victory, but then they pull it back. I mean, I don't really understand that point. What is what what are our objectives right now in Ukraine?
0: Well, I don't think the administration can articulate a set of objectives. I mean, I think the danger here when you look. Uh, back at the 2014 Russian invasion of Ukraine, where they annexed the Crimea and seized the first big chunk of the eastern Ukraine, and they basically got away with it. The sanctions that were imposed were paltry. It obviously didn't deter the Russians. They've watched the uh, Biden administration withdraw from Afghanistan. They thought they saw their opportunity. Uh, and although their military has performed very poorly, unexpectedly poorly, uh, they're still gaining ground. They're still picking up territory. So from their point of view, if they can get some X amount more and stop and declare victory, they they need a pause to regroup. Mm. Uh, and But it, so it will mean the conflict is not really over. It's just to allow the Russians to get organized again. And you can expect more conflict later and not just in Ukraine but in
1: other parts of the former Soviet Union. Where, John, where, where do you think those flashpoints might be?
0: Well, I think in particular Belarus, I think uh, that's right. from, from, from the point of view of Putin and his close advisors, they think the breakup of the Soviet Union was illegitimate. They think the independent, uh, the new, newly independent states are legitimate. They think Ukraine, Belarus are failed states. They want them back in, the, uh, in Mother Russia. And, and that's what this is about. So there's more there. This is not simply about Ukraine. It's part of a bigger picture. Ukraine's the most important to Moscow, but it's not the only piece.
1: We're talking to John Bolton, former National Security Advisor, former U.N. Ambassador. John, I, I guess the last one, and you've been very kind with your time, um, uh, have we supplied the military equipment and the artillery that uh, President Zelensky wants? I mean, it seems just to me like they're always a dollar short and a day late, and and, and and you know stuff is getting over there, there's no question, but Zelensky is always asking for more. I, I'm not a military strategist. I don't n- know about these things, but what, what's your take? No, I
0: think that's exactly right
1: in the dollar short uh, we we look our basic failure in
0: ukraine was failing to deter the russians from invading on february 24th biden didn't even try very hard uh, ironically right now we're being deterred by the russians don't give the ukrainians any weapons that can that can actually attack sites in russia you know the russians are invading ukraine but the ukrainians can't touch russia mm. don't, don't give anything that might get putin upset uh, and that tells putin that he can still Uh, Continue with his objectives and not really fear the kind of response that we might otherwise get. We've given we've given enormous assistance to Ukraine in the form of intelligence, Mm. uh, which has been been absolutely critical. But it's a it's a it's a it's a strategy that says, well, we want to help Ukraine, but we don't want to help them too much. And I Mm. think that's part of the incoherence.
1: And are they still intimidated by uh, by Putin? Really?
0: Yeah, look, I mean, I think uh, they they have made it a mantra that if we do, you know, if we give, uh, go back a few months, if we give the Ukrainians the Polish MiGs, which their pilots could, could use, that uh, that Putin might escalate. Look, if Putin wanted a pretext to escalate, the provision of our uh, intelligence has is plenty of pretext for him. He's not going to do it. He doesn't want a war with NATO. We could have done a lot more in terms of a no fly zone, at least in Western Ukraine, we could do more right now to help get the export of wheat out of Ukraine onto the world market into uh, developing countries that are going to be in very tough uh, shape here in a few months if we don 't do that there 's a lot we can do, but we are self inhibiting because mm. Putin overaws the white house
1: you were listen, I was in some of the meetings. you were not intimidated by Putin.
0: <laughs> it's just, I, well, look, he's
1: he's as cold blooded
0: a person as I've ever met, uh, and he used to say uh, when we talk about arms control or something, he'd say, "Well, you have your logic, we have ours. Let's see who prevails." Uh, he's not irrational. I don't think he's got a screw loose. But but you but understanding that should tell us that there's a lot more pressure we can apply to intimidate him. Instead, he's the one intimidating
1: us. This is backwards. Mm. Yes. Ambassador John Bolton former US National Security Advisor John I appreciate your time it's great to hear your voice honestly thanks very much you. all right take Thank care you.